That's a that's a serious song there, right there. <clears throat> that's a tough one. That's that's not a prayer that we often share with the Lord. <laughs> Lord, do whatever it takes to make me everything I ought to be for you, basically. We don't say that a whole lot. We're afraid of what that might mean. But uh, boy, what a powerful song. <clears throat> Tremendous message. First Thessalonians chapter five again tonight. <clears throat> We're just going to use this verse to get started, and then I'm going to basically finish out the message from this morning, but it's really like a separate message because I'm just it's just entitled Roadblocks to Thankfulness. Roadblocks to Thankfulness. Real simple. <clears throat> now I did include, I did work on it some more, so uh, there were two two or two and a half pages left. Now there's five or six. So I just want you to know you're not really getting out of anything. I went back to the drawing board and started rewriting, and now I have there's over eight pages in this message alone. <clears throat> so we have this morning's, which took three. You got five left. And then there's hot chocolate. <laughs> or cold chocolate. I'm not sure which. No, it won't be that bad. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll see how this turns out. It'll be fine. Chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, we do often <clears throat> ask the question, you know, or, or kind of, I guess not even ask the question, but we make statements like, well, I'm just looking for the will of God. I'm searching for the will of God. And, um, you know, right here in the Word of God is the will of God. We see it listed right here for us. The Bible tells us very clearly here, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus Concerning you. you say, what's the will of God for my life? I'll tell you what it is. You say, nobody can tell me what the will of God is. That's between me and the Lord. No, that's wrong. At all. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Matter of fact, the will of God is the same for every one of us in here. <clears throat> it's the plan of God for your life that's unique and different. But the will of God is the same. And what you find here is that we're getting ringing bad. I can't take it. I just can't stand it. Um, if, if there, is there a way? Is it because the way it's angled or something? Maybe I should turn it backwards or something. I don't know. But you can help me with that, that'd be helpful. <clears throat> but that needs to be fixed. If I have to spend $1,000 this week, I want it fixed. So, um, but, but it's got to get repaired. So um, unfortunately, it's Thanksgiving, so we're not ready to get that done. But anyway, <clears throat> we'll get it done next week for sure. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and here we find in this passage that everything we give thanks. The will of God is the same for everyone. The plan of God is different for everyone. That's a little bit different. That's unique. But here we have the will of God. You say, I, I, I can't, you know... The will of God is to give thanks for everything, in everything. That's an amazing truth. And so if you want to be right with God, you want to fulfill the will of God, you have to be able and willing to give, as the Bible says here, everything, give thanks. Uh, that's a tough call. That's a tough one. So are you in the will of God tonight? <clears throat> are you in the will of God? Someone says, I'm in the will of God, I'm in church. No, no. Are you in the will of God tonight? That's a part of it maybe, but that's not the whole. The reality is, if in everything we can't give thanks, then we're not fulfilling the will of God. That's what the Bible says. I mean, that, that's as simple as it is. And, you know, we like to complicate it, right? We like to make it all difficult. You know, because if it's complicated, then, of course, why in the world? I can't be expected to figure all that out. But it is simple. And we make it complicated for our own good, I think, sometimes, or just to somehow, you know, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him and his sin. Well, I didn't know. Well, now you know, unfortunately, if you're not thankful in everything or in everything giving thanks, I should say in everything giving thanks, then you're not fulfilling the will of God. And uh, I'm not doing it either if I'm not, you know, in everything giving thanks. 
So it's just um, <clears throat> very basic. So what are some things that are going to hinder us? What are some things that would hamper us or keep us uh, from, you know, being thankful and everything? I mean, let's just get down to it. And uh, what, what are some things that would do that? Well, I want to give you three attitudes that will keep you from being thankful and everything or from everything giving thanks, okay? Real basic tonight because I'm excited about hot chocolate. I have, n I, I never get what I want at these outings. I, I don't drink coffee. Tonight's my night. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's exciting. This is awesome. I'm glad you're here. And I notice there's a number of empty seats, and for once I'm thankful. Because now I will have more for me. <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty bad, isn't it? But anyway, I'm pretty selfish anyway. But I'm very thankful tonight at least, all right? I'm in the will of God in that regard. Okay, well, anyway, let's have a word of prayer. And then we're going to give you those three, three attitudes that will keep you from being thankful in everything. Father, bless us now. <clears throat> Encourage us. We do thank you, Father, for just uh, the privilege to gather here today as a church family. Lord, um, you know, we can go to church and it just becomes rote. You know, we do the same thing over and over and over. But, Lord, I'm glad. We're a church family here. We, it's like getting together for Thanksgiving every week here. And I like that. I enjoy that. And, Lord, there are heartaches here. There are hurts here. And, Lord, there are people that are in dire need of your touch tonight. Lord, in our midst even, I'm sure. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd meet those needs. I know, Lord, that you're able to do all things. Lord, there are <clears throat> physical ailments, I'm sure, that are represented here. You could touch their body tonight and heal them. Without a doubt, you are able. And Lord, maybe you'll choose to do so. But Lord, either way, <clears throat> we need to meet with you tonight. We need to leave here encouraged tonight. We need to leave here prepared and ready to face this world in which we live. And Lord, would just help us, we pray. And, and Father, as a church family, may we draw closer together. Thank you for the prayer time that we had this evening. And Lord, thank you, Father, for just the opportunity now to fellowship one with another around your word and in your presence. And Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, the first spirit that will keep you from being thankful in everything is a spirit of entitlement. A spirit of entitlement. The word entitlement defined is the condition of having a, a right to have, do, or get something. It's the condition of having a right to have, do, or get something. It's the feeling or belief that you deserve to be given something, such as uh, special privileges, maybe. A type of financial help provided by the government for members of a particular group. And all of these are right out of the dictionary. Very basic, very simple. But the reality is a sense of entitlement, as basic as we can make it, is a sense of I deserve something, in a sense, um, you know, uh, it's owed me. It's owed me, basically. Well, <clears throat> you know, in our lives, we are very quick to both determine what we believe God would want for us, and we're very quick to demand it of God. I know what God wants for me, and I expect it. I demand it. Um, <clears throat> the honest truth is that you and I are owed nothing. God owes us nothing. As a matter of fact, Christ warned the disciples that they had sorrow to look forward to. Look, if you will, in John chapter 16. I mean, the Lord actually told his disciples, guess what, guys? 
you're going to be miserable. You say, what? Yeah, well, let's see it instead of me saying it. <clears throat> Notice what it says in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 20. We'll just read three verses. <coughs> he said, verily, verily, I say unto you in verse 20, chapter 16, verse 20 of John, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. <clears throat> but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Isn't that a wonderful thing he's saying here in the passage, very basically, very simply, <clears throat> that you, you disciples... You might as well plan on it. You're going to have a real difficult time. You're going to have some sorrow. You're going to have some heartache. That's just the way it is. And uh, yet, it's going to be like that woman that has a child. Boy, in the midst of that labor, she's miserable. And boy, it hurts. But as soon as that child's born, <laughs> it's like it never happened. Oh, look how wonderful. Look how wonderful he is. And look how, how beautiful he or she is. And, and the pain kind of subsides. And then guess what? You're glutton for punishment. And you go out and do it again. <clears throat> Next thing you know, here you are having another baby. And you say, I'll never do that again. And then after the baby's born and you're all excited, you say, I'll do it again. Let's have another one. Well, praise the Lord for short memories. <clears throat> and the Bible's basically saying here that, that that's the way it is with, with us as, as believers. He says, listen, you're going to live in this world and you're going to experience some sorrow and heartache and you're not always going to be like the world that seems to always be on top side. But the reality is, is that you're going to go through the pain. But look, rest assured, your day's coming. Your day's coming. And that pain won't mean a thing anymore. One day. As a matter of fact, not after, uh, you, you need, we need to note that after the new earth has arrived and the new Jerusalem has descended, that God's going to do something very significant. Look at you in Revelation chapter 20. People say, well, I just think God wants us all to be happy all the time. Well, first of all, again, as we said, he warned the disciples. But now I want you to notice over here in Revelation 21, 4, what's going to take place again after, after the new earth has arrived and new Jerusalem has descended. Look what's going to happen. <clears throat> Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Isn't that amazing? I just want to say good job in the sound booth. Excellent work there. Sounding good. All right, so what we find here is, notice again, that, that the believer, the believer here is going to have some tears wiped away. Now I want to ask you, if the believer were not intended to endure the grief of death, the dread of sorrow, the torture of tears, and the problem of pain, then there'd be no need to wipe the tears away, would there? No need to do away with all of those things that he just listed here. The fact is, is that in the believer's life, it is par for the course to endure suffering, grief, pain, tears. That's par for the course. You know, we get the idea that because we're children of God, everything ought to be just a wonderful bed of roses, a, a life of ease. That is so far from the truth. So far from the truth. 
We'd like to believe that we're all entitled to a happy and healthy life. But again, that's just not the case. Look, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Very familiar passage. We're going to break it into two pieces, and then we're going to break that down a little bit here for just a few moments. It says, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Now, I want you to notice something about the passage. First, there is responsibility. In verse 19, the Bible simply says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Our bodies are temples. Our bodies are temples. Now, again, we all want to believe that we're entitled to good health, wealth, and prosperity. Well, I want to believe that. But the reality is that's not the case. First of all, as we noted, there is responsibility. You and I are responsible to live our lives in such a way that it pleases God and promotes well-being. If we're harming our body, we cannot expect to reap a healthy life. And if we're neglecting God's truths, we are sure to forfeit His many promises or at least the fulfillment of them. We make decisions every day that affect our future. A person smokes cigarettes their whole life, and then they're upset with God when they get lung cancer. Now again, I'm not downplaying how how horribly, um, um, I mean, how horrible it would be to have that news. I'm I'm not downplaying that at all. I, I don't wish that on anyone. No, I don't. I would never wish that on anyone. But but what I'm saying tonight is, if we do not take care of this body, it will not take care of us. And it is a temple, and God expects us to care for it and take and meet the need there. I mean, if we, we don't take care, we, we overeat, we don't take care of our bodies, we allow ourselves to just grow um, sluggardly. Listen, let's face it, our blood pressure skyrockets, our... our um, um, sugar increases, our, our health decreases, and people say, I, God, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? It has nothing to do with God. There's personal responsibility here. Personal responsibility. And so, first we see responsibility. Matter of fact, in Galatians 6, 7, God puts it this way, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, again, there have been people that have gotten lung cancer and never smoked a cigarette in their life. So that's not always the issue. But my point being is, you and I as believers, especially young men and young ladies, understand something. How you live today often determines how you will be tomorrow. Don't fill your body with the stuff that you know is going to hurt and harm you and then expect God to give you a healthy lifestyle. You're going to break down. It's just the way life is. So... There's the responsibility. But also in the passage, I see, second, there's a reality. You say, what's the reality? Verse 20 says, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. See, the reality is, is that we are God's to do with as He pleases. We're not promised a bed of roses. We're not promised a life of ease. However, it should be our desire, every one of us ought to have a desire 
to glorify the one and the only one, mind you, who rescued us from our sin and extended to us an opportunity for eternal life. That ought to be our goal, our desire, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We have scriptural proof of this, that our lives are not our own, that in reality, God has a right to do with us as he pleases. Now, you can go to certain places, get on the radio, or listen to certain TV preachers that will preach what's often referred to as health and wealth or health and prosperity, gospel, and all of that stuff. But let me tell you something. Christians suffer. And sometimes they suffer for on purpose. God intends them to suffer. And we don't talk much about that because it's uncomfortable, but it is a reality. That song that Stephanie just sang, do you realize what you invite in your life when you say a prayer like that to God? Someone says, well, don't pray it. Man, if you don't pray it, though, consider what your life will be and your eternity then. If we don't, aren't willing to literally ask God to do what he needs to do to make us what he wants to make us, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, to help us to be the kind of vessel that is a vessel unto honor, what's that give us in the future? We're still going to suffer in this life. We're still going to travail in this life as a mother having a child. But yet in the end, there'll be nothing to show for it. What keeps us from being thankful? A spirit of entitlement, feeling as though God owes us something. Look, if you will, again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we have this biblical, spiritual truth, a scriptural truth of the reality that we're not promised anything in that regard. And, and this is, I don't know, this just isn't real comfortable. It's not something we like to talk about. I know I don't. I'd much rather think that if I'm a Christian and I'm trying to serve the Lord, that none of my children will ever get sick. Me and my wife will live till we're old and gray, that everything will be fine in our finances, that we'll never have any tragedies in our life. I would love to believe that, but you know what? That's just not the case. And here's the thing. It's not just I got drunk and I went down the road and come off the road and hit a telephone pole and jacked myself up, my family and everything else. No, God may just have someone come cross center line to teach me and my family a lesson. Not a bad lesson, but a lesson that will help us to become something more conformed to his image. We don't want to think that way today because God's a good God. God would never let anything bad happen to me, my family, or my friends, or anyone else. But I'm telling you, be very careful. That sense, that spirit of entitlement will cause you not to be thankful as God, as God demands and commands. The next time tragedy comes in your life, if you're not careful, you'll be bitter and angry at God because you think he owes you something he does not biblically or scripturally. And I'm trying to help you see that before something would ever happen. God forbid it ever did. Look at all the people in this room tonight. Let me tell you something. As a whole, as a whole, our lives have been very smooth. Oh, there's been some ups and downs along the way, but they've been smooth in comparison to others that we've read about, heard about. Listen, you don't have to walk on eggshells. Oh, no, is God going to take my family? Is God going to do something bad to me? That's not the issue. What we're trying to prepare ourselves for, though, is an understanding of the Word of God so that we don't get caught off guard when the devil tries to use something God allows in our life against us to hurt, to harm us, and to ultimately cause us to grow hard toward God, bitter toward God, and take our family right to hell with us. Now, your soul may be saved, 
so your children's soul will follow you right into the pit of hell, so to speak. They'll just walk right on in. You'll be so angry, you'll say, I'm not serving a God that would be willing to hurt or harm me or my family or to allow something negative or bad to go into into my life. Guess what? So I'm bitter. I'm angry at God. The kids grow up bitter, angry at God, and say God's no good, God's nothing. And they learn that God's not really real anyway in their, their schooling and their upbringing. And as a result, they want nothing to do with the God that you used to love, used to serve, and used to try to be faithful to. And you lose a generation, and then their children grow up and go to hell. And their children grow up and go to hell. And now you've lost your children. You've lost your grandchildren. You lose your great-grandchildren. Why? Because you didn't understand that in the Bible, there's no sense of entitlement. There's no entitlement here. And I want you to understand that so that you don't lose the next generation. You see, more important than my health is the ultimate spiritual well-being of my children and their children and their children's children. There's more at stake here than just my comfort. There is an eternity that awaits all of us. And if the devil can get me bitter by allowing something in my life, and maybe God permits the devil to do something. Weird. See, I don't believe God ever intended to do anything harmful to me. I believe that's all a result of sin. And that Satan is so wicked and sinful, he allows, he brings things into my life. And God allows it. It crosses the desk of my Lord. I understand that. But in the end, I'm going to shake my fist at the devil before I shake my fist at God. Notice what he says in 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm going to allude to it as we move forward. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, notice a couple things. Number one, the players. Say what I mean. There's, a, there's a, some people that are involved here, the players of the game. Notice in verse 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. These are God's people here. These are God's people. They've been scattered abroad as a result of persecution. They didn't all move for more a more lucrative job offer. They didn't all leave for a better climate or possibly for a change of scenery. That's not why they left their locale. No, they left because they were on the run. And because they were on the run from those that were trying to murder them, persecute them, kill them and their families, they found themselves in other countries. That's why. If you go back to the book of Acts, chapter 8, you see that persecution took over the church and people went everywhere with the gospel. Ultimately, they were fulfilling the command of Scripture in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to go into all the world. And as a result, we see that there. But hold on. The fact is, is that we have God's people now that we are dealing with. They're without a doubt His people, but they are going through suffering. Number two, not only the players, but note the promise in verse 3 through 5 that these players have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, what a wonderful promise God gives us. Now again, notice this promise. They may not have, uh, have had much by way of worldly possessions. Their perspective or viewpoint may not be very valued in the eyes of their peers here. 
They may possess, they may not have possessed great power, position, or preeminence in their local government or even within their culture. But but the Bible tells us they were without a doubt begotten of God. Without a doubt begotten of God. What I'm saying is they were on their way to heaven. They, they were being kept and secured by literally the power and the hand of God himself. They may not have been viewed as significant by very many people. But let me tell you, there was one person they were very significant in the eyes of. And that was none other than God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But he says, The Lord knoweth them that are His. I want you to understand that no matter how bad it gets, literally, the God in heaven knows you. I mean, to think for just a moment that he'd even care enough to even know my name, let alone know me. That is so humbling. And yet God himself knows you tonight, if you know him as Savior and Lord. He knows his own. These were the players, yes, these Christians, these believers that had been scattered abroad as a result of persecution. But God made a promise to them. He said, listen, whatever you're enduring, I want you to know one thing. You are saved and you are secure, and you are guaranteed a home in heaven, and I'm going to keep it that way. You have my word on it. Not only the players and the promise, but again, note the plight as it just kind of drives home this truth again that we're looking at, that really we're not um, entitled to anything, really, as believers. We're not told that we're going to have a bed of roses. Notice again, chapter uh, verse 6 here, the plight. It says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Wow, there you go. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Wow. Hey, listen, theirs was a life filled with the flames of persecution and the fires of temptation. And yet the Bible says they rejoiced. No, it didn't. That's right. I'm wrong. No, they greatly rejoiced. What he's saying, these believers, these believers, they were those who may not get another chance to say goodbye to their loved ones or to tuck their young child into bed and hear those Wonderful words, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Mommy. I mean, these believers lived their lives on the horizon of death. And as such, life itself was very valuable. It was a gift. Even though they were on the run, even though they were being persecuted, even though there were those in their families who were losing their lives, I would almost guarantee you this truth. I would almost guarantee you this if we could go back and check the record. If we could look at the statistics, I think you would find that there was less suicide among these believers than there are among believers today in the church. I would almost guarantee that. Because they put a premium on life itself. Unfortunately, we don't. We have politicians and others who really have no desire or no concern about life. Matter of fact, they're more about death. 
We love to promote things like abortion and euthanasia and certain issues like that that cause people to die. Listen, let me tell you something. These were believers were about living. And although their lifestyle may not have measured up to our standard of living, it was a life that was lived to the fullest because they understood they could, they just might not come home tonight. And so every moment was very precious, and they were thankful for every minute. The perspective, finally, in verse 7 through 9, notice what it says. It says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto, the, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having yet not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The perspective is what we find here now. The trials that they endured are said, according to the Bible now, are said to be much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Oh, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, if I had my choice between a pound of gold and a pound of heartache and trouble, trials and tribulation, give me the gold. Right? I mean, honestly. I mean, we would say, I mean, I, I think I would be very tempted to do that. But that's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching here, in this particular passage, there's no choice to be made, folks. It's not giving them a choice. What it is saying, however, is that what they are enduring, this trial that they're enduring, these heartaches they're enduring, are much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Because you and I often live by sight and not by faith, we see gold as very valuable, don't we? I mean, it's very valuable. You say, well, of course it is. Look at it. I mean, all you have to do is look at the price of gold. It's very valuable. It is. Hold on, though. The biblical perspective is quite different. And listen, you know why we get into trouble? Because we don't have a biblical outlook. We have a world outlook. Because we think like the world, but we're trying to be, you know, Christians, not of the world. You can't think like a worldly person and have the insides of a Christian. It, what you think is who you really are. And we're trying to be holy and right with God and righteous, and, and we're trying to be pleasing to the Lord, but we, we bear the marks of sin in our flesh already, but then we turn around and we embrace the world ideology and we, we, we embrace their thinking and their, their outlook and their worldview. And then when things go amiss in our life, we just like the world look at God and go, what's your problem? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Hold on. See, we've got the, the we don't understand the biblical perspective. Again, Gold is temporal, and it is only useful in this life, is what the point is. While the trial of your faith, though it be tried with fire, provides and procures an eternal dividend. He's saying that those hurts and heartaches that you endure in this life, they enable you to ultimately, or they help yield a greater reward one day. 
that gold is going to perish. It's only useful now. But that trial by fire that you're going through today is going to produce something in your life and even in eternity that's going to yield multiple, multiple dividends. That's what he's trying to teach us. We have a world perspective again. We have the sense of entitlement that steals the spirit of thankfulness and gratitude of the Lord. We look at God sometimes and think that he's a, a, a white-haired old gentleman in heaven, and he's supposed to be passing out candy every Sunday. And if I don't get my candy, then he's no longer fun or good. That's not who God is. God has a purpose and a plan, not just for your life, not just for your family, not just for this church, but for the whole world and every other person that comes along in the next however many years. That's God's way. And the Bible's saying here that although theirs was the most heated of temptations and trials, although theirs was a trial fanned by the literal fires of hell, he's saying those trials are more valuable, more precious than gold that perisheth. Because they're going to provide and produce something in you that's far more precious than gold itself and will last forever and into eternity. God help us to instill in our children a sense of not just gratitude, but awe and love and respect of God, a willingness to let God have His will and way in their life. So often we raise them with expectations of, you know, you need to do this and you need to do this so that you can ultimately provide for yourself and your family. And it's all about you and your family. It's all about you and your family. And it's all about you and your family. Whatever happened to God? And then when something comes along in their life and they can't measure up to the expectation that we've set for them, they feel like failures their whole life. And then they're also bitter at God because they never learned the true feelings and heartbeat of the believer. The true heartbeat of the believer is to simply honor God in and through their existence, not to accomplish something on behalf of God. If we could get through our head that God doesn't need what we have, if we are privileged to be used by God, thank God for that. But if I have to lay on my back in a bed and cannot do anything for God, and I'm fulfilling my purpose for existing in God's eyes, my reward in heaven and my purpose on earth will be fulfilled, and it will be more valuable than gold that perishes. That's what God's teaching us. That's not a position I want to find myself in. I don't want to invite myself into that position. I don't want to say, God, please put me there. No, not at all. I don't want that for me, but could God want that for me? And in the end, is it really my decision anyway? And if I really have nothing to say about it anyhow, why do I spend time worrying about it? can't do anything about it. And secondly, even if I'm put there, what's the point? Why fight God? I'm going to lose. I might as well just let God perfect me. And that's easy talk when you're standing here. It's not as easy when you're there. I've talked to a few of our older folks lately. Boy, they're struggling, some of them. Struggling health-wise. You know what the thing is that bothers them the most often? They say this all the time. I can't do what I used to do. 
I can't do what I used to do. If they're not careful, though, they don't realize what they're they, they don't realize what they're really saying. If they're upset because they can't do what they used to do, if they're not careful, they may end up be blaming God and don't even realize it. They have to be willing to accept sometimes you can't do what you used to do. And if that's all right, as long as that's where God has placed you now, you don't have to do anything for God to be accepted of God, loved of God, and to be used of God, except be right where God wants you. Because to honor God is to just be a piece, an instrument in His hand. Perspective. Like those faithful souls, we too are on a faith journey. And although they they hadn't seen God, mind you, they hadn't seen God either. Remember the passage says that. They loved Him. They're being persecuted consistently. They didn't see God. He didn't put His arms around them. It wasn't like the disciples with Jesus Christ there at their side. No, they were stuck there on earth, suffering, and yet the Bible says they never saw Him, but they loved Him and rejoiced as they anticipated the glory that awaited them. That's that's amazing. That's the biblical perspective. Entitlement. It will steal. It will quench your spirit of thankfulness. There's no place in a believer's life for a sense of entitlement of God. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't belong. Because in the long run, it sounds so crude to say it this way, but he owes us nothing. But that's as basic as we can say it, as simple as we can say it while on the other hand, we owe Him everything. Everything that you and I have in this life is more than we truly deserve. If we really would understand that, if, you know, there's been a few things that have taken place in my life lately that have caused me to lay beside my wife at night while she was sleeping and think to myself, I'm the luckiest man in the world to just be here right now. Because I may not have a roof over my head one day. I may not have a wife beside me. I may not have my children that love me and, and my church that, that, that adores me. And um, adores me. And um, all of those things, if you know what I'm saying. And, and I've been thinking a little bit more along that lines. And I don't know if it's been morbid, I don't know what I told my wife. I'm not trying to say I think something's going to happen to me, but let me tell you something. I just know one thing. Every day is very, 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 very special, important, and valuable. Let's not take for granted what we have. I'm going to close this, even though we got to the one of three points. But, but let me tell you this. We are good at at recognizing what's missing. I'm good with the sound system of noticing, that's not right. We need to get this up here. we got to get that done. I'm good at that. But if I'm not careful, I forget, like I just did a little moment ago, and say, boy, great job with how it's going here. Right now, this is good. You did something right. You know, we, we always see what's wrong, never what's right. We, we always see what's missing, never what's there. I'm going to say never, because that never is a long time, really. But, but you know what I'm saying. It's the qualities my husband doesn't have that I notice. 
not the good ones he does. It's the bad qualities my wife has that I notice, not the good ones she does. Oh, my children don't do this, and they're not doing that, and they're, but they are doing this, this, and this. All I'm saying is, if we're not careful, we miss what is and focus on what isn't. Gratitude. Let's be thankful as we enter into this holiday season, as we go forward in Thanksgiving and then into the future, okay? Let's be grateful to God. Every day we live, be thankful for what He's given us and what He's doing in our lives, our families, and our churches. Father, we